0: So I told you about that small village that I grew up in, right? Yeah. And, um, so when I was then making the plan to go to Cape Town, I was like, man, do you know anyone maybe who is in Cape Town? Do you have a network there? And uh, yeah. funny enough, uh, I went to school with a guy, his name is Finn Plotz. And uh, he was like, you know, celebrated as a really, really striving teen entrepreneur when he raised 3 million euros for his first uh, venture being 17 years old. And we, we went to high school together. I was, I was just two years older. So we went to the same high school in that small village of 12,000 people in Northern Germany. And we were both like these, you know, really uh, committed entrepreneurs. And he actually happened to be in Cape Town for, with his new company. so. I texted him and I was like, hey Finn, you know, we went to school together and I, I see yeah. you are in Cape Town, how's the vibe, how are the startups, what's happening that side? And um, he's like, oh yeah, great to hear from you, you know, it's a fantastic environment, uh, I can highly recommend this place and by the way,
1: this is what we do. Hello and welcome to the Mindset podcast, your host is me, Asteria Amba Apirolla, I'm so excited to finally be broadcasting this show and hosting it all the way from Milan, Italy. Journey along with me together with an exclusive list of guests who are thought leaders, academics, creators, entrepreneurs and scientists, all starting us off from the Namibian landscape. What are we talking about? Everything as it pertains to doing things better and mentally elevated to bring forth the best versions of ourselves in their respective industries. So listen along and hit the subscribe button, or simply share an episode that deeply resonated with you. See you soon. Ciao. So welcome again, and we can start off with your introduction. Um, whatever is relevant, how you got into the work that you're doing, and yeah, let's let's take it from there.
0: Cool. Yeah. Good morning, Esteria. Uh, good morning, everyone. First and foremost, uh, thank you for having me on the show today. It's uh, really cool to follow what you are doing in the startup space and the initiatives that you have kicked off. So yeah, really keen to share a little bit about what I've learned uh, over the last 10 years being active in the space. And um, yeah, why I'm such a strong believer of entrepreneurship. As a problem solver for, you know, so many communities all around the world and especially, uh, in the African context. So yeah, really, really keen to, to be diving into this conversation with you today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just, um, as part of the, con- as part of the introduction as well, um, perhaps you can also give us a bit of insight in terms of the companies that you are heading up. Um, you said you have 10 years of experience. What has been your experiences, particularly with that? As an introduction, and then we'll move towards some um, other discussion points.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, my name is Michael, and uh, I grew up in a small, very, very protected village in the north of Germany and had a very, very, uh, you know, easy Childhood, not much drama, and uh, yeah, grew up amongst the cows and the sheep here in the north of Germany. Um, yeah. And then eventually, I I got really really hungry to kind of break out of this environment. And right after high school, uh, when I was nineteen, I moved to uh, South America uh, and uh, lived in a township. Uh, for a year there and uh, we were uh, supporting an NGO, uh, that was uh, building music schools. So we were teaching music uh, in the township, uh, playing with all the kids and, yeah, trying to establish an infrastructure that was kind of a social alternative, uh, creating free time activities and, uh, yeah, playing music with, with everyone. And that was really my, my start into, uh, well, what I would say is my entrepreneurial journey. Because you know we didn't have much money uh, at hand, uh, the conditions there were of course really really rough, as you can imagine. Yet uh, you know we were able, as as a collective and with all the passion that the that the people had, to uh, create something quite uh, unique. And this was really really inspiring for me to see. And um, after concluding the uh, the time there, um, I was actually really really eager to to start something of my own straight away uh yet you know being a little bit persuaded by my parents uh, who who have this very traditional german conservative mindset you know in terms of yeah you yeah. need to uh go to university uh take it take it easy don't take too many risks uh, set yourself up for uh, for an uncomplicated life um and uh, they wanted me to go to university, which I actually ended up doing, but not in Germany because I wanted to do something international. So I went to the Nordics. I went to Denmark yeah. um, because I had I had heard um, of a study program called uh, Global Management and Manufacturing, which was an engineering degree. Uh, yet in the yeah. curriculum, uh, there were two lines saying with these studies, you'll be able to start and lead a company anywhere in the world, from New Zealand to Alaska. And that was the only reason, I think, why I uh, started uh, to to pursue a university degree. And long story short, after my first semester, I uh, was so kind of, I wouldn't say bored, but I wanted to do more. So I started my first business in Denmark, which was a, an e-commerce uh, platform platform, to 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 sell supplements and uh, nutrition products together with two Danish angel investors and that was really my start into the actual entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and uh, and the startup environment so I was very very lucky to to found uh, investors and mentors early on who uh, yeah. you know were a crucial part uh, of my journey from from the beginning really and the learn I'm really really grateful for all the learnings that I made along the way even though that first company didn't turn out I already had built or was building a really, really supportive network. And then another angel investor took me under his wings and he actually um, runs a family business and the family office in Germany. And I actually ended up uh, working alongside him, sourcing and scouting interesting ventures uh, in his yeah. space and, and managed another of his portfolio companies. And yeah, really got to see the, the other side of the coin as in, um, you know, venture capital, angel investing. And, uh, yeah, was really, really fortunate to be doing that quite early on in my career. Um, so did that for a little while, probably like, you know, two years uh, actively. Um, and by the way, I still, still concluded my university degree, uh, while still, um, cool. because also the Danes were really supportive as in, you know, I was allowed to do my internship in my own business I was allowed to yeah. uh, to write my thesis uh, about my own business so that you know gave me a lot of freedom to uh, to work and study at the same time because study was technically my work so um, yeah. that was all good and then wow in two, in in two thousand eighteen um, i I hit a point where I was like, you know what mich um yeah. The journey to South America and like the experiences there, um, it's now five years ago. And, uh, why have you, or well, where well, that, that interest for emerging markets and this experience, there was still, you know, really deeply rooted within me. And I wanted to, to get kind of back into that kind of space and mindset. So I spoke to, to the guys at the, at the family office and, uh, told them, you know what, I need to, I want to break out into emerging markets again. And Africa has always been really, really fascinating for me. So I'm going to Cape town and see how the landscape is set up that site. And, uh, if we can't do something there or, it, you know, if nothing works out, I will still be able to work remotely, um, from, from Cape town and, you know, conduct video calls in an end. Um, and they were actually quite supportive and, um, luckily, and and this is the funny story, actually. Um, So I told you about that small village that I grew up in, right? Yeah. And um, so when I was then making the plan to go to Cape Town, I was like, man, do you know anyone maybe who is in Cape Town? Do you have a network there? And uh, funny enough, uh, I went to to school with a guy, his name is Finn Plotz. And uh, he was like, you know, celebrated as... A really, really striving teen entrepreneur when he raised 3 million euros for his first uh, venture being 17 years old. And yeah. we, we went to high school together. I was, I was just two years older. So we went to the same high school in that small village of 12,000 people in Northern Germany. And we were both like these, you know, really uh, committed entrepreneurs. And he yeah. actually happened to be in Cape Town for, with his new company. So. I texted him and I was like, hey, Finn, you know, we went to school together and I, I see yeah. you are in Cape Town. How's the vibe? How are the startups? What's happening that side? And um, he's like, oh, yeah, great to hear from you. You know, it's a fantastic environment. Uh, I can highly recommend this place. And by the way, this is what we do. And uh, so he had launched uh, the company Xeon, who is a um, software company, software startup. Uh, developing technology for emergency service providers. And, um, yeah, long story short, uh, we at the family office and myself found this project extremely exciting, and they were looking for a COO at the time, yeah. and we had just launched, you know, our initiatives as a venture builder and, and family office as an investment arm, and we um, yeah. invested in, in, in Xeon, and I could, as part of the deal, join the management team as COO, and so I within two months' time from you know not knowing what what I was going to expect in in Cape Town, South Africa, I had found a, yeah. a job with a fellow northern German guy in a really cool startup and we had our first project and uh, I flew down in 2018 and we kicked things off together. So they had just completed yeah. their, their their POC phase and we were just about to roll everything out so we were early in the game and i joined the management team and have been there for the last four years uh learning about what it takes to build a startup in south africa and scaling it on the african continent uh growing the team from three to now almost 30 people And um yeah it's been a really really cool ride and uh you know during that time uh, every every week or, or every year I get more excited about what I see on the ground in in Africa South Africa, and yeah. um yeah, I'm really, really committed to supporting and learning more about entrepreneurship on the continent and what we can do uh to bridge the gaps between the continent and enable these super smart, talented, and committed entrepreneurs to uh pursue their 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 journeys and build su- successful companies on the continent exactly, wow.
1: Wow, that was, okay, this actually just affirmed um, why we're here. And I love the fact that you brought where you grew up as well, because um, there are similarities with my own uh, um, upbringing as well. Very conservative, um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if you, if you know this, but Namibia was a, a German colony. So some of the, the vibes within the country, for example, um, the language, for example, Afrikaans, um it's coming from that uh, yeah it's coming from I don't want to say colonial but it's it has emerged from from our background with um yeah with Germany and the apartheid era with uh, South Africa, so there's quite also a lot of German influence within the country, and some of those influences have also um dictated how my parents, for example, raised us also grew up in a very small um small suburban area within the capital city or city of Bintuk. And the the, the path was already like, you go to high school, you, you know, very strict on the academics, which really did do us wonders in terms of just putting us on course, but it was very restrictive in terms of just the track, the the track period is that you finish your university degree and you get a job. And that worked out for me as well, to a certain degree. where you're essentially just trying to please your parents from my own experience, that is. And I just, you know, it it comes to a point where you're just like, is this, is this it? Is this the next 30, 50, 50 years of my life that I'm going to be spending at this job. And I had to really start thinking as well in terms of my own passions, which has set me on this path where I started exploring what are the things that I, I really do want to focus on where my strengths What are my weaknesses that I can also try and improve on? And that was like what, five years ago, 2017, which was the most pivotal year in my whole career. I made the decision that I'm going to relocate, which was supposed to have been to Sweden at um, at first. And I ended up getting, long story short, I ended up getting another offer, um, academic offer to move to Italy, to Milan. And I took the Milan offer instead because it was unexplored. I've never been to Italy. I've never lived in a a, yeah, a European city, so so to speak. So 2017, I jetted out and long story short, which we'll obviously get into as we move along. Um, it really taught me as well, like people that I'm looking for at this stage of my life are people that want, you literally are stepping out of the comfort zone, which is not something very popular or common with Namibians, particularly because um the fear of the unknown for one, which I do understand, but I think the journey in itself, it's completely so, so rich. And here we are having this conversation. So for to say all that, it's just like, okay, I I we're speaking the same language. <laughs> um yeah, so thank you for sharing that as well. And um yeah, I think we can start moving along with the next discussion point. If that's not a problem, if there's anything that's, that you'd like to add on to that.
0: Sure. No, it's, it's really interesting to, to hear your context as well. And, um, yeah, now yeah. we are both sitting in, 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 Europe at this point as I'm, you know, I, I travel in, in, you know, in, in European summer, spend quite a bit of time this side to strengthen the, uh, the connections that we have, of course, on the ground here in Europe and uh then you know i'll I'll be like in and out of the the, the continent uh, for for a couple of weeks two three months in uh, doing um like local summertime and um yeah, yeah so it's funny coincidence how we both you know trying to you know leverage the relationships between europe and, and Africa it's really really interesting to to be chatting about that
1: exactly and um I think there's, we'll find synergy as well in terms of where to collaborate on But Like I recently, and some of the things that I'm currently doing, I've, I've had my own experiences with entrepreneurship, but the stage where I am right now, I have, um, I've joined, for example, the, the Namibian Business Angel Network as a first time angel investor. I'm still going to learn. I have quite a lot to still learn in terms of just investing, what to look out for so that that is also interesting that you, you you mentioned that you've been taken and there's somebody coached you, which progressively as we move along, I think we're going to need to also talk about that. But anyway, the core of it really and at the core of why I've also decided to take the executive leadership within Billet and doing this podcast is seeing the potential within Southern Africa but the potential right now, specifically from an Namibian point of view is it's, it's very bogged down in terms of bureaucracy. Um, people confusing startups with SMEs and middle and M, MSMEs, like the middle, um, SMEs, which are equally important as well. But I think the blurring the lines between the two concepts are assuming that both, um, organizations would run the same. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen on in the country. There's a lot of um, support that needs to also be um, rendered to new time, first time CEOs to startup companies, for example, and the tech ecosystem, which I'm also very, very interested in. So yeah, let me not, this is not a monologue, but this are just some of the things mm-hmm. I'm really right now trying to focus on in terms of impact. Um, yeah, impact and really just giving back triple fold so yeah if there's anything else you would like to say and then maybe you can start moving along Mm
0: No, absolutely. And it's really, really, really great to hear. I think it's incredibly important, um, you know, to, to support, uh, the local ecosystems with, uh, you know, guidance and, and mentorship. And as we, as we were speaking about it earlier, you know, I was very privileged and, and lucky to get this, uh, you know, guidance extremely early on in my career. Uh, and I think it's crucial for developing striving ecosystems. Um, so, um, in order to, to be doing so, we need much more support and, uh, you know, mentorship of individuals in, you know, African startup ecosystems. Um, and so it's really cool for, for you, you know, to hear that you are already trying to, to, you know, share your knowledge and uh, enable freelancers and, um, um, Individuals, you know, and, and guide them through your uh, through your company, but also from an individual perspective. And I think it's it's one of the key factors uh, that will enable you know really substantial growth in the ecosystem. Uh, but yeah, we can touch upon that uh, a little bit later and, and dive into uh, some some other aspects
1: now. Exactly. Um, anyway, moving on. Thank you for those rich insights as well. Moving on from everything that you have been lucky enough to to manage for example and your executive roles within the two organizations that you are managing um, or that you're working with what would you say are the biggest strengths that you have calcul um, to 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 manage both roles to make sure that the work is still done navigating uncertainties within between both continents um yeah, let's let's start off there. So, so I think f- first and foremost,
0: uh, I think that's uh, that boils down to to the people that you are working with, right? Um, I. I couldn't do what I'm doing at this point without having uh, the, the the people and the team uh, behind who is uh, conducting incredible work, you know, and, and enabling me to uh, focus on, on, on other things because, you know, at some point, you know, when I started out in my career, I was like, <laughs> my attitude was, I know best. Uh, I know it all, even though I had no, absolutely no clue. And I, my decisions, my ideas, they're the right ones. And then you eventually learn, or I eventually learned, you know, that uh, with this attitude, I was just hitting against brick walls. And uh, funny enough, I, I never really... Um, you know, in, in when I grew up as a kid in sports, I, I never really have been the, the biggest team player. You know, when I were playing soccer, I always wanted to score the most goals of my own. And uh, yeah. when I was, you know, I was playing individual sports. And then, you know, when I tapped into uh, business and entrepreneurship, like, wow, this lonely warrior attitude is actually yeah. not who I want to be or what, what I want to uh, represent as an individual and then uh, finding out also I don't get along, you know, w- with this attitude and I and I was forced to change and I'm really, really grateful to have had people in my life who who showed me that, you know, celebrating wins as a team is so much more rewarding than if you're the lonely wolf. Yes. And so that's, that's, you know, hence also my answer to your question. I think uh, it boils down to, to having really, really great people uh, who, who are performing at their max uh, that, that I can focus on, on certain certain things. Um, and then I think what, what also is extremely important for me is that I wouldn't want to choose anything else in the world as to to what I'm doing, right? So the the extra yeah. hours, the pain, the uh, the tough times. Uh, I don't really, you know, I just push through because I wouldn't want to do anything else. And I think it's extremely important for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I know it might sound a bit cliche, but uh, yeah. if you're not fully committed and behind what you are doing, you will not last through the tough times uh, because uh, this is a very, very uh, challenging journey and you will be hitting a lot of brick walls and you need to have the resilience to push through and you can only, at least that's my opinion, only push through if you're doing something that you absolutely love. So, And, and I, I, I absolutely love what I'm doing. Hence, I also return back to uh the emerging markets aspect, you know where my journey started, and which was my biggest inspiration um yeah. yeah, and I think these two aspects you know having incredible people that you you know where you share the core values um and who you know together you can form such a strong bond to to move the needle and at the same time being really committed to that you you're absolutely convinced what you're doing is the right thing and you can identify with it, I think that that helps me a lot in, in terms of managing both both organisations and both aspects. And lastly, yeah. um, they are of course directly related. Uh, in terms of uh, you know, from an investment perspective, um, we of course have a have an interest that our portfolio companies succeed. And from an experience and learning perspective, I think there is no better learning ground uh, for for an investor then being part or fully involved of a startup journey in the entire cycle. So, uh, you know, both organizations, I think, are enabling one another. And that also, of course, makes it easier to to manage interests and, and manage both uh, aspects. Yeah,
1: lovely. Yeah, that that's, um, and you said something very important as well, that it needs to be echoed, in terms of just supporting support systems within um, accelerated programs, particularly now for Southern Africa, where a lot of people seem to romanticize the idea of you know being a founder. And that is you know there is a whole culture like that outside of the continent, but everything that we're going to be obviously talking about is going to for now going to be central To Namibians and and Southern Africa. And some of the conversations so far that I've already just had, which gave me is like, I get to call the shots. I get to do this. I get to do this. And it's like, you, you caution it because you only look good, as you said, if your team is also just winning, equally winning. And particularly more. If you are a CEO or in whatever management capacity that you are in, you don't have all the answers. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing on the ground is a lot of um, a lot of yes, man, a lot of I am the one in charge. I I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm particularly asking this question because I think there's also potential in terms of developing programs to specifically. yeah, just to, just to specifically train first-time CEOs, for example, to start-up companies, which a lot of people don't pick. Um, a lot of accelerator programs on the continent are not focusing on. The, we're not talking enough about leadership, the traits that you need to have, that you can develop, but you need to you need to be placed into a certain environment so that you can see yourself also in a different light. Um. Yeah, so that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I asked the question and also just to gain insight in terms of um, for those that I experience and they understand the journey, it's that's great. But they, there's, a, there's the 50% that I'm speaking to that are sitting in remote parts of Namibia, for example, and they, they don't have as much access to information as somebody who's maybe based, based in Vintuk or Cape Town or wherever else um, in these areas. So when I'm, for example, when I'm there in the country, when I'm back at home, it's really to also just um, guide certain um, startup programs, say that these are priority areas that need to be focused on. Um, Yeah. And another thing as well, the resilience, I think resilience comes as well with a lot of experiences. And if you are um, building something that is not, you know, particularly in my own opinion, if it's not solving a problem, but you're looking at it more from a money point of view, that you want to just get a million dollars as pre seed in pre seed funding, for example, which a lot of people are also romanticizing. <laughs> that I'm just gonna start a company and then I'm gonna be I'm gonna throw out a lot of pitch decks and you know one of them will stick eventually to the wall. <laughs> and you end up getting millions and you're now a millionaire and all that. So it's it's really also breaking it down to say that if you're going to build something at least in your you know, the commitment and putting your energy into something, attach it to a large scale problem, attach it to a pinpoint within the country or on the continent that a lot of people do really resonate that this is something that we need. We need a solution to it. And that also just brings me back, sorry, I'm speaking a lot, but it brings me back to why I've particularly taken a private interest to tackle for one, um, unemployment issue and employment issues within the country. Because I don't believe that you can, for example, you don't need a lot of, you don't need billions to solve unemployment. You need creativity and being very agile in terms of just what you're building. So here we are once again. Um, Yeah, if there's anything else that maybe you want to add on to that, um, just to conclude that,
0: the discussion point. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with uh, with what you're what you're saying, and I think when when I'm you know comparing the the two ecosystems, looking at let's say uh, Europe and, and Sub-Saharan Africa, I think one of the biggest difference is to have this access to people who have a vast experience, who might be serial founders or angel investors, who have been on the startup journey uh, a couple of times and can, not only can, but you actively share this knowledge uh, in forms of advisory and mentorship to startups and upcoming first-time founders, um, which is then extremely crucial as to um, them not having to make the same uh, mistakes that have been done many times before. And I think this is something where where I believe it, it will eventually happen um, in, in our African context. And this is also where the biggest ch- chance and the massive, I think, growth opportunity will happen. And funny enough, uh, uh, a little insight there is, I, I'd say, nine out of, the, out of ten founders uh, I speak with uh, in a sub-Saharan African context, and I'm sure that might be even valid for, for, for the entire Africa startup ecosystem. But Nine out of ten founders I speak with and I ask them, guys, um, When your company, uh, should be successful and you, you, you make some money, uh, you potentially exit that business. What do you want to do afterwards? And nine out of 10 people say, um, I want to become an investor. I want to plow that money back into our local. The African ecosystem and help founders who once were at the same space that I was when when raising or or struggling for with my startup. I want to be a mentor for them. I want to be an investor for them, and I want to help Africa to become the number one destination for for entrepreneurship. And I think this is incredible to to hear from from these you know the current first time founders who say when I'm successful. I want to do. I want to give back, and I think this is a really, really great attitude that I haven't uh, definitely seen in, in this, to that same degree in Europe. And I think there's an incredible chance to have this mentality and, and, and core mindset of people, uh, upcoming entrepreneurs, who eventually will give back to the ecosystems. And once that happens, you know, we have a complete uh, new dynamic that uh, we'll be uh, basing the, the future growth of the continent on, which I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah. And why do you think, um, maybe just uh, just for curiosity's sake, why do you think, uh, some of the founders that you spoke to, they have that type of mentality to give back? That is, that's not commonly, um, seen within the EU markets. I think,
0: you know, I, a lot of
1: times, I, I,
0: when when coming across those questions, I would reference the, you know, South African. Or I don't know if it's one hundred percent South African rooted, but the Ubuntu mindset, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I am because we are, which I find extremely beautiful, and I think the sense of community. Uh, in, yeah. in the African context, is uh, a different, completely different from a cultural perspective, and I think yeah. it is much more common to uh, to help out your folks, your fellows, your friends uh, when you can, and I think that applies in you know the microcosmos of uh, uh, you know a family uh, up to mm-hmm. you know communities and societies. Of course, it's a very uh, you know, the world, of course, has other problems and struggles. and It's not, a, you know, a blunt uh, way of functioning. But I do see that in a lot of entrepreneurs that they have this this attitude. Uh, and I would say it's it's a cultural perspective, definitely. Uh, and yeah. it's also, I think, uh, people understand that the, these entrepreneurs understand that, you know, it's, uh, it makes so much sense, right? If they make some money and give back... It'll. It's going to be great for everyone, and you know the time. I think where people are just filling their own pockets, they need to be over. And I'm. I'm quite excited to see that this, you know, upcoming generation of founders, they have understood that, and I think this will, at the on the long run, benefit
1: everyone. Yeah, lovely. And I love the fact that you also mentioned the the Ubuntu uh, philosophy, which it, it's. In part, yes, um, it's definitely the giving back in terms of just where you've also grown up, which most people, um, they were forced on, into entrepreneurship because of the struggles that they have um, experienced from, and you know, you know, even just talking about my own background, it still, it still is very privileged. I got into, my entry point into entrepreneurship was, I was doing it because I didn't want, My parents to control how much allowance they're going to give me. So I wanted a little bit more and just to have that ownership. But for most people, it's most, uh, for most um, people on the continent, it's really survival. And the Ubuntu mentality comes to um, that, okay, if I get to, you know, if I get to the top, I'm going to lift you guys up as well because we struggled together. So if we can ask, if we can not escalate, but if we can how do I put this? Um yeah, like carve that also into a into a startup communities somehow outside of the continent, that would also that that would be great. But it's just also understanding the context of why most people are the way they are in terms of yeah, this in terms of that particular question. Um yeah, I think uh in any case, uh, if there's anything else that you want to add on, I'm going to start moving on. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, let's 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 move on.
1: Okay. Yeah. So we spoke about your strengths. We spoke about briefly what you are doing with your organizations. What would you think? Um, what What's your stance or your opinions, rather, just around? Um, hybrid working as a recruitment strategy within both your organizations. Um, yeah, just walk us through what you're currently already doing within, uh, with the recruitment space of it. Have you guys started using, utilizing freelancer, opening up, um, the world of work to, yeah, hybrid working? Um, what are your aspirations sure. as well as in terms of, um, yeah the future of work on the continent in Africa in, in in comparison to the EU market and yeah anything else that is relevant to to that discussion point. So I mean yeah we, in,
0: in that regard of course when it, when it comes to remote or, or, or hybrid work setup uh, by the nature of of being based in both uh, Europe or, or Germany and, uh, and and South Africa, um, we were having this as core part of our let's say uh, company work set up really from from day one and i was really used to uh, working working digitally and uh, i think there is um, an incredible you know advantage uh, to that uh, and covid only has accelerated what we have been you know doing on our day to day basis as before uh, that being said um i think it is more difficult to form deeper connections with your colleagues in a digital way than it is in a physical way. And I think physical or hybrid setup, I think, is my preferred uh, solution. Uh, that's, you know, I'm I'm always really excited when I get to see both teams in person at their respective offices, be it in Hamburg, Germany, or, or in Cape Town. Um, because you have uh, these, I, we always call them, you know, the in-between-the-door conversations where you just ping that extra idea and especially for a startup you know where you are smaller teams and you know your work uh, load or what you are doing on a day-to-day basis changes so rapidly and it's not like really uh, established processes where you're doing the same on a day-to-day basis i think it's important to have uh, as much interaction as you can get and we see in a, in a digital setup you tend to be a little less proactive when it comes to having conversations around certain things. You're not always ping that extra Slack, Slack message or that extra uh, email where you would just have a conversation if you are around your, your folks in the office. Um, so my, my preferred solution, I think, is hybrid because there's also advantage to just uh being uh, at home and having flexibility at work, I think this is just the norm and going forward and um yeah. yeah talking about about freelancers um you know in in the past we've been working with with a lot of freelancers or independent contractors to to conduct you know works being it from copywriting uh website development uh or or the likes because I think Uh, Especially if you have like a want of work, uh, and especially in a startup uh, setup, do not have a uh, the cash or be the the capacity to yet uh, fill a full time role. Um, I think freelance or or contract work is is a brilliant way to uh, to do so. And then of course it boils down to uh, where to find great freelancers, and you know in. In the beginning i think we were looking on you know as i started out on, on platforms uh so the large freelance platforms that you that you've got like uh upwork um for example yeah. and just to to, to find someone who, who could help you but i think uh, over time um we more and more switched to actually our network that had grown and like really trust on recommendations Um, you know hey do you know someone who could support it with uh, us with that rather than browsing on our own through these platforms because i think trust is very important when you when you work with someone and if that comes through a recommendation or is vetted in, in, in different terms i think that's that has become more and more important for us uh, when, when choosing, uh, someone to, to be working with. Um, also to, to talk about freelancing and let's say, you know, online work in the African context, I see a tremendous opportunity for, you know, individuals and, and the, the next generation of, you know, graduates or, um, you know, people who want to be independent or self-employed there. Because literally, uh, at your fingertips, You, as an African, have access to uh, the international market and the entire world in terms of digital services. Um, There's a huge advantage, I mean, looking at at Europe uh, and Africa, because we are basically in the same time zone. So, you and and English, the the, the proficiency of, of English on the African continent is great. Uh, It enables you as a a young African black to contribute and, and, you know, connect with that work environment immediately. Uh, You are in the same time zone. Uh, You have the advantage of, you know, having lower, uh, you know, cost of living on the African continent, but you can basically, in terms of skill sets, and, and, uh, you know, if you have Conducted, or have you done a great education? You can compete with people who are sitting in the UK, Germany, um, the Nordics, wherever. And I think this is a great, uh, you know, entry point uh, for for a career um, and should be taken much more advantage of. And I think, and I think in our briefing, we spoke about that as well. I think that uh, the educational bodies. Uh, should uh, pay much more attention to to these kind of opportunities for uh, for 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 students uh, and prepare them uh, for this digital age of of work equip them and guide them into
1: into these markets because I think there's tremendous opportunities uh, out there exactly and um, the guiding especially like they, from Namibian, from a Namibian point of view for example, they're doing quite a lot of um, um advocating in terms of the fourth industrial revolution and preparing the country um not preparing but just i think everybody's starting to wake up in terms of digitalization and really taking part um or competing rather with the global community which and i'm saying all of this and um, to give you also context because Freelancing in Europe and the Western demographics, it it's it's nothing new. But with within Namibia for one, just the term freelancing and, and this was quite interesting because I had a conversation with another guy who brought a cultural connotation into the conversation I was like, Yeah, but I would rather be called a consultant instead of a freelancer, which was really mind blowing for me because I was like, I never thought of it. Um from that point of view that there, is, there could be uh, some negative connotation to say that I'm a freelancer because people assume if you're a freelancer in Namibia, particularly, that you're unemployed or you're between jobs and you're just, you know, you're throwing around these fancy terms um, to just, you know, ride out the wave <laughs> until you get something permanent. And that's exactly why um, I've taken also um, the curiosity to have these conversations too. To open up people's minds that it's not just yes freelancing and consultants just it's it's two two words that are interchangeably being used in different conversations but at the core of it is really recognizing the ownership to creating a living and particularly now because of all the unemployment and the high unemployment rates within sub, sub within southern Africa it's it's becoming all the more so so crucial to think of To think of different ways of ensuring that graduates, for one, when they, yeah, when they, when you get your degree, what are you going to do with it? And digitize, digitalization and social media, for one, just top of my head. Um, it has given a lot of people in the, in Western countries, a lot of opportunities to become, for example, a content creator or, um, a photographer, you're doing graphic designing for, A company that's sitting in Australia or whatever the case may be, and that's currently not what is happening on the continent. And the freelancing things that we're talking about, we think that it's really just to open up, um, to open up the market to say that look, let's prepare you to be able to to compete with somebody for a position wherever um, in England or, but you are sitting in Namibia, and all that. It's it's really preparing the mindsets because the mindset right now it's it's. Deeply traditional, deeply traditional. Also, in the sense that, okay, freelancing. I can. I'm going to use it as a uh, as a gateway to get to my full time position, which is not wrong. But it could also be an advantage to have um, flexibility to increase your uh, like passive income as well, which is top on the high list in terms of um, the cost of living, for example, within N- Namibia, which has escalated over the past two years. So all these things, it's really um, all these discussion points, it's it's coming into all of these pain points that I've mentioned and um, yeah, that we haven't talked about in this conversation so far. So that we need we need the flexibility. And if we can create a system or a platform where, especially as Africans, they can own their own digital skills and still um, you know, compete at a global scale, that would give them hopefully at least or a yeah, sound really, really uh, idealistic with this, but at least you, you, you have, you, you, yeah, you get to stand a chance to, to 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 create a better a better living for yourself, and yeah, in the absence of anything else, i I think from my end, you can if you want to add, in, add on anything else onto that, just maybe some of your experiences as well, um, with regards to having been a graduate in Denmark, and yeah. some of the things that. You, yeah. No, sure.
0: I mean, this is, uh, I think w- what, what you're pointing out there, I think it's, it's absolutely crucial. And I think that, and it's not only, uh, in a, in a Southern African context. I think it's, uh, worldwide, uh, particularly the, the US and, and, and also Europe, where I think, uh, educational bodies fail to, uh, develop and innovate with a speed that the world is changing and the workplace is changing uh, around us. And I think this yeah. is not really helpful for the, the students who, who who get out as graduates and then are thrown into a, a, a world uh, that in terms of work is uh, rather different than what they've been equipped with uh, during their education. And, um, and I mean, I had that... Like my me graduating now is like it's like ten years ago, and I was also already questioning like why are we learning this and when am I ever going to use checklist. it? And you know now ten years later, uh, you know eighty percent of the things, ninety percent of the things I haven't used so I, I could have much rather spent this time with, with something else right and I think it, it, it really boils down to the way that uh, let's let's speak about I mean the uh, the university like these kind of degrees when this is all you know been, been really put together, It was rooted or tailored for, uh, for to, and let's, let's use the word produce workers for the corporate environments who are really, really striving, uh, you know, back like 50, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and since then, uh, the world has changed, but the uh, curricula and the, uh, the degrees not really. So now you, you still. Uh, you know, produce a set of skills that might have been relevant uh, in a different world environment. But as to your point, you should rather learn. Okay, how because it is important. How do you position yourself and conduct yourself on social media? How do you create a digital um, portfolio of yourself if you aim to be someone, um, you know, that is selling his or her services? Uh, how do you you know, uh, get access in terms of communication to international markets? How do you use digital tools to uh, be, you know, to manage your life, really? And I think uh, one example that I always give uh, is, yeah. you know, people should uh, – Instead of, um, you know, some other courses, let's, and, and I, I might, you know, some people might might call me out on this one, but it's, it's my opinion. But I say, look, yeah. in, in, I think history is important, but, you know, we were studying history books for days and days. I, people, I should rather have learned how to use Google properly because i think exactly. google is it's not it's it's not going away anytime soon but how many people don't actually know how to use this tool to find and filter yeah. the best information and i think this applies for 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 a vast set of digital tools that we use on a day-to-day basis where we never really get educated on but should as this is part of the of the new life right and i think uh, educational bodies really need to up their game because at the end of the day they are putting out uh, the people that should contribute to the economies but they are not prepared in any way shape or form to do so in relation to uh, the pace that the the world has, has changed over the last few years and is also going to change um yeah. you know over the next uh, coming years so yeah i'm i'm really really I'm a little bit uh cross with uh, what I see in the education space but at the same time I believe that it will and has to be disrupted by startups and organizations who come up with innovative uh, ways of educating people I think e-learning and on like e- uh, edtech startups have a massive yeah. potential to not only uh disrupt this place but also to solve Right. Uh, The the dilemma that we're in in terms of uh, education um, and I mean, whereas education in particular is also one of my biggest, um, if not the most uh, fundamental hope that I have. For the African continent in its entirety, looking at the, its demographics, if you uh, you know enable these young Africans and you know give them access to education that uh, will qualify them uh, not only you know how to manage their lives but also how to you know take part economically uh, in the in the world markets. We on in, on the African continent are set up. We yeah, have the best uh, in terms of going through forward uh, th- throughout the next 50, 100 years. And I think this is why I'm also so excited to, to drive and see what I can do, especially in the, you know, impact sphere or the educational space. Because if you get uh, these hundreds of millions of young Africans educated and help them mm-hmm. to, to tap into, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the economics of the, the entire uh, globe, then we will uh you know enter a really really prosperous uh african future um but it's also of course the biggest challenge i think to date but i think with technology and um you know startups and innovation and governments pushing into these directions uh, there is an incredible chance and opportunity to uh, to unlock this talent
1: yeah, definitely. I love the fact that you said unlock because a lot of it is really locked. <laughs> and um, it's the mindset as well. Um, because what I've, and just to start wrapping up as well, um, what I've particularly been paying attention to on the continent is <clears throat> we have a lot of people that have a lot of degrees, you know, colorful degrees, which is great to have. But what gets you the job what gets you, um, for somebody to recognize, you know, what you're able to do in your own space, yeah, in your own expertise, is your skills, and the focus between the the shift between, as a graduate, to say that, okay, you graduated, you have an engineering degree, great, but are you able to do these type of um, projects? Are you able to design in CAD printing or whatever the case? Yeah, what what. So this is not in my field, but are you able to specifically um, solve a problem within this uh, within these skill sets? And that's why a lot of people are lagging, because it's great to say that you have this, you have something back in your name, but without um, it actually being translated into a value-adding component, then it means, in my own opinion, at least, it means nothing. And... Yeah, a lot of observations are really just coming from that, that educating and the mindset. We need to shift the mindset to say that in the next 20 years on the continent, what would we rather see? Would we rather see, um, a billion, a billion citizens on the continent that are well educated, but are not able to, they are not able to partake in the global economy. And If we are talking about having to make that shift, it's really just like having to understand where each country for example um what are we prioritizing and Namibia for one South Africa for one we are it's a small there's small countries to play with um in terms of driving some of these conversations in comparison to maybe Ghana or uh Nigeria or yeah one of the biggest economies we think that on the continent, but that shift is. And this is going to take on going to take form in terms of another conversation because the bureaucracy, the the strategy has been formulated from an educational point of view for one. The policies that are you know informing how to go about looking for jobs within the country, all these things have a very big play in terms of how people are perceiving the working environment that if I don't get the traditional job, then it means that you know I can't make a living. So definitely the disruption to it, um, disrupting how Steve's scores currently is and the startups as well, like focusing, particularly now, if you're talking about edtech, what do we need to, what do we need to prioritize on? And the priority for me, at least it's really just preparing people for the future. The future is like literally just around the corner. But if we're, if we're going to be progressing at this pace, Uh, As Namibians, for one, because I'm a Namibian, um, I'm a little bit worried, (laughs) Um, cautiously optimistic, but I am a little bit worried in terms of just how are we going to be able to position position ourselves as a country. So, yeah, um, I don't think I have anything else to to add on to that. But um, my own concluding remarks, and just to condense everything that we spoke about, it's really just yeah, doing things a bit differently, doing things better. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but efficiency and being effective with the little that you have it goes it goes a long way. And yeah, eventually as, as well, um, when the time is going to come to talking about extensively how we build billet for one, um, I would love to use it as a case study to say that you can solve something at the fraction of the cost without also compromising on quality. Um, yeah. Any concluding remarks before I let you go? I'm so
0: sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no problem at all. No, really, really beautiful uh, what you just said there. And I mean, let me, let me conclude from, from my side uh, in relation to yeah, your comment yeah. as, as you, you calling yourself cautiously optimistic. Uh, I, I, I consider myself, uh, passionately optimistic and um, you know i've i've really really high hopes especially having witnessed all the talent that i get to see on a day-to-day basis in uh, in africa southern africa at this point in particular it is amazing to see how hungry and driven despite extremely challenging circumstances uh, the entrepreneurs are that I and we get get to work with, and comparing that um, to to what we have seen that can become successful in Europe, I have, yeah. other than certain, you know, of course, uh, circumstances politically, um, and of course the access to capital, uh, I have uh, no doubt that these entrepreneurs have and will develop an even deeper skill set uh, that will make them successful that will make them you know the ones who will be building great great startups and that will you know help africans strive and this is what i i'm excited to be partaking in and and witnessing in the next coming years
1: yeah lovely lovely and um anyway just to conclude um Thank you as well. Uh, we've come up to exactly an hour. Um, this has been, it, it's its obviously not gonna be the only conversation that we'll have, but it it affirms everything that I really do want to touch on in terms of just building products and providing solutions um, that are speaking specifically to African issues. So thank you as well for, for being here, for taking the time out um, to talk to me about these conversation points. And uh, I look forward to talking to you very soon. Absolute pleasure,
0: Esteria. It was great also to get more insights on your point of view and how you you see things and what you are driving with Billet and, uh, uh, you know, from a professional, but also from an individual uh, perspective. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: And I also look forward to speaking to you soon again.